Uh, well, thanks for joining with us, whether whether you're here physically or whether you're with us in spirit through the spirit of Zoom, whatever that means. Um, I'm grateful to be able to gather again to, uh, together uh, and to enjoy um, the things that we're grateful for. Um, yeah, so we're, we're almost at Thanksgiving, which is crazy, right? Um, and uh, there's a lot going on. So I'm going to pray. I feel like I still need to hold this time before the Lord and ask his grace on us. So, Father, we, we come before you again, even now, uh, recognizing that we belong to you. We thank you, God, that you gather among us when even two or three are together. You promise that you'll be in their midst. So we're nothing without you, God, this morning. Uh, we're just people in a field and uh, some other folks online. Uh, but it's your spirit at work and in us, uh, connecting us to one another, reminding us of your love and your grace that makes us uh, unique. It gives us something to offer to the world. So um, we invite you again. And we thank you that we have the promise of your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we have, uh, we're, we're actually in the very last week uh, of an eight-week series that we started uh, in the book of Romans called Embodied. We have been uh, looking at um, what it means, what it looks like for us to embody the genuine love of God in a partisan America. Um, and so we're, we're calling out many of the ways that our imagination for the Christian life and the Christian community has been hijacked by our country and its polarization. Um, and we're doing it by, by looking at Paul's vision for the, the, the church, the Christian community in Romans 12 to 15. And we're going to be ending uh, today in, in chapter 15. Um, and and the, the picture that we get is, is of a community that's able to resist the conforming influences of the Roman Empire, that's able to push back against the darkness and not give in, not give up, not give themselves over to it blindly, uh, but to understand the implications of the good news of Jesus and how it breeds light in the midst of that darkness, how it brings hope in the midst of despair. Um, and so last week we, we looked at the need to re remove stumbling blocks or, or these um, boundaries that determine sort of insiders and outsiders uh, as, as part of the process of being this community of light. Uh, and today we're going to look at what's, what I think is Paul's summation of his entire argument. It's what he's been driving at all along, and now he sort of puts an exclamation point on it so that they wouldn't forget who they are. Um, so again, we're going to be in Romans 15. We're going to read uh, verses 1 to 13. And it says this, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. 
May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing your praise, the, the praises of your name. Again it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I was, I was chatting uh, yesterday with a few folks from our church as we were giving out meals. Um, and it was, it, it was, in my mind, it was kind of this um, contrast between the, the activity of what we were doing, which was distributing meals to everybody who came uh, into our parking lot, like regardless of uh, race and gender and, and age and socioeconomic status, like if you if your name was on the list, you get a turkey, you know, um, for 125 families. Like there's no distinction. Uh, we treat everybody the same, and yet, like swirling around us, there's this like dissonance of what was going on and what is going on in our country. Uh, and we're sort of lamenting uh, the fact that things are so divided right now. They're so divided right now that we can't even agree on the facts of who won an election. And there's a, this cognitive dissonance with a reality uh, that is equal parts, at least for me personally, perplexing and maddening. And I think the, the root of um, a lot of our, as a country, our inability to, um, to reckon with reality, to sort of accept um, even the will of the people, whatever that means, um, is that it, it disagrees so often with the fear that permeates our, our society. It disagrees with, with what our fear is telling us reality should look like. Um, if, you, if you don't know this by now, you need to know it. Fear sells, right? When they say that sex sells, and that's true, I think I have, a, I have a theory that fear sells as much, if not more. Um, everything that, 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 we're, that we take in as a society um, is telling us to be afraid. Uh, our economy runs on fear. It tells you to buy things that you probably don't need to protect yourself from people who aren't going to be harmful to you. Um, it, it tells you to... To, to be fearful of what your kids will think of you if you don't buy them this toy or that product. 
right? Everything is telling you, be afraid of something, and we have the solution to your fear, and it's only $999.99, you know? Um, plus tax, always tax. But our, and our news runs on fear as well. Um, our news media sources draw off of the, the fear that is embedded in so many people's hearts. We, we tune in to be afraid of the right things. And that's why you can tune into one news station who's telling you to be afraid of this group of people. And then a different news station, it tells you to be afraid of the same group of people that they said were your friends. Well, who's right? It doesn't matter. I mean, as long as you stay afraid and stay tuning in, then you're you're doing exactly what they want you to do. Our, our news runs on fear by selling us a narrative that those who are different than us pose a, pose a threat to us in our way of life. Um, they're going to take our jobs. They're going to take our judges. They're going to take our rights and on and on and on. And there's, a, there's this underlying message, I think, that drives all of this fear that says uh, that, that essentially what you have, the things that you, that you possess in this country are fragile and, and they're in danger of being taken away. And that the only way to stop that from happening is by creating enemies of those who want to take what you have. That if someone is different than you, that they're a threat to you. Now, in a, in a day when the divisions of our nation feel unreconcilable, where all hope for harmony seems lost and where we're tempted to believe that those who are different pose a threat to our way of life, church, we have good news. We proclaim this good news that that the most important thing that you and I have, our hope in Christ, can never be taken away from us. That you are accepted and honored in Christ's family. And that the same Jesus who stands in solidarity with you is making himself known among us as we stand in solidarity with one another. He is building a community where every voice is valued, where every ethnicity is accepted, and where every life is given a seat of honor. And so will you take your place at Jesus's table and add your voice to the multi-ethnic chorus who together and only together are able to accurately sing God's praises? Um, the, the backstory that we've been talking about throughout this whole series, and I, I, I keep mentioning it to you because I, I have this little, little hidden agenda that I, I never want you to be able to read the book of Romans again without hearing this story playing in the background. Because it, it, it informs and shapes everything that you read when you, the next time that you read the book. Um, but the backstory is this, that, that there is a dispute over food between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians or non-Jewish Christians. Of, and these two halves make up the church in Rome and each side uh, and their position is being used as justification to withhold themselves from the other group. And so they're, 
each group is treating some like insiders who look like them and some like outsiders who don't look like them. And that this is threatening to tear the church in two. And if you remember, as we dug a little bit deeper under the surface, we discovered that uh, this, this situation was born out of the fact that, that the Jews were expelled from Rome 10 years prior to this letter being written, and that they were now desperately trying to figure out their place in the church now that the Gentiles have grown in number and in faith. They were once the majority, and now they are the minority. And so this this minority status that they have is creating ethnic division within the church. And each side of this racial divide is, is growing increasingly suspicious of the other because they perceive that those who are different from them pose a threat to the way that they've experienced God prior to the other one being around. Does this sound familiar to you? It's exactly what we were just talking about. And so for, um, for the, the Jews were uh, prone to seeing the Gentiles as a threat to their heritage. And the Gentiles were prone to seeing the Jews as a threat to their way of life. One group wanted to preserve the past and the other wanted to embrace the future. And both sides saw the other side as standing in the way of that vision. I mean, things looked bleak as they look bleak in our nation. And so the question comes up then, how in the world are these two deeply entrenched ethnic sides going to find a way to come together in spite their, of their differences and to forge a way forward? What hope do they have? And what Paul is trying to get them to see is that both of them are acting as though they have something to lose by the presence of the other. As, as though they have, um, as though, as though what they have, whether that's their heritage as Jews or their status as Romans is in danger of being taken away. And, and Paul's basic argument is this, not only do you have nothing to lose by embracing your brothers and sisters from another ethnicity, but you have everything to gain. You have everything to gain. And so he says um, in verse seven, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promise he made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And then moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. That word accept means um, to receive uh, someone's perspective and voice who is different from you. It's a posture that submits to the possibility that the person you receive has just as much to offer you as you have to offer them. That they reflect the image of God in ways that you might need to grow from and learn from. And Paul is saying this um, to these two groups, right? He's saying, uh, you Gentiles need the Jews. You need your Jewish brothers and sisters because they can speak of God's faithfulness in keeping his promises. 
Times are coming when you will wonder if God can be counted on to uphold his covenant with you. And your Jewish brothers and sisters have the endurance of generations that will anchor your faith. You need them. And so accept them as a gift. And you Jews, you need your Gentile brothers and sisters because they can testify to God's mercy in welcoming them home. And there, there are going to be times when you question if God is able to save such a corrupt, power-hungry city like Rome. And your Roman brothers and sisters will encourage you that if God could save them, that no one is beyond his reach. You see it? Each of you, he's speaking to them, each of you needs the other because it's only together that you'll be able to see and to sing about God's multidimensional glory. If you don't have one another, you're going to forget aspects of what he's like that you're going to need in these next years. Each of you brings out the value of the other that, wouldn't, that you wouldn't know apart from, being committed, apart from committing yourself to a life lived together. And it's only together that you'll be able to realize both the endurance and the encouragement you need to hold on to the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. In other words, let no man separate what God has joined together. I think this is a lesson that um, God is still, 2,000 years later, teaching his church. If we have ears to hear. That, that we live in a day of such tribalism. Where you're taught only to trust those who distrust the same people that you do. And I submit to you... Um, that our suspicion of others, especially when it comes to our suspicion of Christians of other tribes and other races, is doing us real harm. And it is damaging us in our witness of God who continues to receive those who don't look like him. Family, we need this good news. That the most important thing we have, our hope in Christ, cannot be taken away from us that you and i we're we're accepted and honored in christ jesus and so the same jesus who stood who stands now in solidarity with you is is making himself known among us as we stand in solidarity with one another god is at work building a community where every voice is valued every race is welcomed every life is given a seat of honor and so will you take your place at his table and add your voice to the chorus who together are able to sing his praises? See, it, it was God's plan all along uh, to include the Gentiles along with the Jewish people as one family who reflect what he's like. Um, and this would have been shocking news the way that Paul is putting this for the Jewish brothers and sisters. Um, 
because they they knew the scriptures that foretold of the Gentiles being included, the fact that they would flood into their cities and worship God, that they would uh, submit to uh, the Jewish Messiah. But they always assumed that it would be their city and those people that do the submitting to them. In other words, they, 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 they understood, they assumed that the Gentiles would have to learn from them because they were the keepers of the covenant, that they would have to submit to them, that, that, that the Jewish people would continue to hold the seat of honor and that the nations would be, in a sense, second-class citizens of God's kingdom. And Paul is reorienting their expectations, to put it lightly. He's saying that's not how things work in Jesus's kingdom. Because when Jesus is king, the last shall be first. When Jesus is king, those who are strong use their strength for the weak. When Jesus is king, those who are honored use their good name for those whose name is mud. When Jesus is king, those who are insulted have friends who absorb that disgrace by continuing to associate themselves with those who are on the receiving end of that insult. When Jesus is king, everyone, Jew and Gentile, sit at one table, not with one above and one below, but with, with brothers and sisters who look each other eye to eye across that table as equals. Now, what, what gives Paul the confidence um, to know that God is going to make this happen? That this is God's plan for their particular church in Rome. I mean, it's one thing to say that this is God's plan globally, right? Um, but Paul is pointing the finger at them and he's going, no, no, no. This is his plan for you. What, why does he say that? Well, he, he quotes four different Old Testament passages that talk about um, the Gentiles' inclusion in God's plan. But it, I find the last one to be the most interesting. Um, because in verse 12, Paul quotes Isaiah 11, verse 10, which says that the root of Jesse will spring up. He will rule over the nations, and in him the Gentiles will put their hope. It's a reference um, to Isaiah's day when Israel was actually under attack from the stronger nation of Assyria. Um, and Assyria was threatening their way of life. They were, they were coming in as a stronger nation. They were picking off city after city. They were laying siege to Jerusalem. And all hope seemed lost. How in the world is God going to bring good out of this kind of evil? It felt like when a tree is cut down to the stump and you look at that stump and you go, how, how could a tree ever possibly blossom out of that? There's nothing but death and destruction there. And Isaiah uses this metaphor and he says that out of this stump will come a root and people of all nations will put their hope in this root of a king. And the Jews would have known this story well, which is why Paul's employing it here. Because he's trying to, to say to his Jewish uh, brothers and sisters, 
The fact that you are coming back into the church after 10 years away, and you're seeing that Gentiles are serving and singing to Jesus is evidence that God has been present and at work while you were away. Don't resist what he's doing. Don't isolate yourself from, the, from, from them. Embrace it as the work of Jesus and join your voice and your lives with theirs because this is the way, to quote the Mandalorian. This is the way that, that God shows what he's like to the kingdoms of the world. This is the way that, that God um, paints a contrast between his people and everybody else. And if I could just join um, Paul's admonition here to us and say that the, the empires of the world, um, they consider that people who are different from one another ought to remain different from each other. That, that, that if someone is different from you, as we've said, that they're a threat to your way of life. But in the kingdom of God, we see people who are different as gifts of God who fill out the harmony that sings his praises in ways that we would miss if we weren't part of the chorus. Just like you can't, and I'm not a huge like uh, singer, um, and I can't harmonize for a lick, like, it would, it would be really bad if I ever tried that. Um, but my wife's a singer, so I, I listen to her sing. And, and one of the things that I realize is that um, you can't harmonize by yourself, right? You can only harmonize off of someone else's melody. And if you add your voice in harmony to theirs, then what happens to the melody? It grows fuller and stronger with more depth and character and beauty than it had before. Harmonies require people who sing in different octaves, who are willing to submit their voices for the good of the whole. And the beauty of what's sung increases. It shows off what God is like more and more, which is why Paul continues to use the metaphor of praise when it comes to the diversity of his people and the unity that he wants them to hold on to. We need each other, family. We need each other. Young and old, male and female, white and black and Asian and Latino. We were built to be part of the kingdom of God that brings together these voices, not to shut them out, not to make them all sound the same, but to value their contribution and to submit one to another because each has a, a, a way of seeing the work and the character of God that nobody else will have access to because we have not lived their experience. That's what Paul is saying here. We need those from other nations. That word nation is the Greek word ethnos, which means ethnicity or people group or race. We need the fellowship of others who don't look like us if we're going to be a reflection of the kingdom of God.
Um, I'll tell you when this hit home for me. Uh, we, we were part of a, something called the Baptist Resource Network. It's a, a, an association of churches uh, across South Jersey and Pennsylvania. And um, there are churches of all sorts and stripes, believe you me, in that association. We, uh, we all look very different from one another, which is part of the reason why um, I love uh, this group of people. And um, one of the, one of the uh, large groups uh, within that association uh, is uh, a group of churches that are primarily African-American uh, that reside mainly in the city, city of Philadelphia, but also a little bit uh, in South Jersey. And uh, when, when we first entered the uh, association, when we planted Cultivate, um, if I can just be perfectly honest with you, um, <clears throat> I was, um, I, I, I think I often looked down on many of those churches. Um, we were new at the time. I was fresh out of seminary with all kinds of like great ideas that I thought everybody should practice and embody, right? Like, because they're, they're, fr they're hot off the press for me and they're entirely unproven. So everybody should know this stuff and everybody should read the same books I do and, and uh, think about the mission of the church the way that I do. Um, and so I often look down on many of these churches because to me, they seemed less missional than ours. Um, they didn't read the same books that I read in seminary. They didn't seem to have the same ideas about how to reach their neighbors. Many of them seemed stuck in the past and in traditions that I didn't understand or value. But then I got to know many of these, particularly pastoral men uh, in these churches and realized how the depth of their character and perseverance through all kinds of trials that I never had to experience before. Having to minister to people who are treated unjustly on a weekly basis and deliver hope to their people again and again and again and again. And I'll tell you, like, when all the stuff happened back at the beginning of the summer with the racial stuff on TV and um, the police and all of that, it's not the first time that it's happened in our country, but for me, it was the first time that I saw it with a different set of eyes. It's not because suddenly I was enlightened, like it just sort of dawned on me, but it's because I had logged probably eight years of relationship with many of these men. And when it started to unfold, uh, not just on the television, but in their own neighborhoods, and there was riots and police crackdowns and curfews and people hurling racial epitaphs at their people. I suddenly had skin in the game. It suddenly wasn't just something I could hold at arm's length and go, well, that's just the way our country is. Or there are good people on both sides. It cut deep because it cut my brothers. And suddenly their eyes became mine and I couldn't turn away anymore. And I couldn't 
just forget it anymore. And I couldn't um, rationalize it anymore. And I couldn't recede into my privilege anymore because their voices wouldn't let me. It turned out that I needed them in ways that I wasn't aware. And, and their, their, their persistence and clinging to hope in the midst of many of these things, when I would have given up, to be frank, is what gives me endurance and encouragement too. Family, we need desperately people who don't look like us. We need their voices, we need their presence, we need their perspective. Um, I say all this to say, like, I think there is uh, a diversity that happens in every body of Christ because nobody is ever the same. You guys don't think the way that I do and I don't think the way that you do, which means we need one another too. And so it, it's got to begin with us. And I, I, don't, I don't have an imagination for all the ways that it needs to happen. I wish I did. I wish I could just give them to you. There's like a bullet point list and just say, here you go. Like, <laughs> this is what you do. Um, but I don't have that list. And I don't have that vision. But I know that the God of hope has it. And I know that that God who is at work in these brothers and sisters in the first century is the same God who's at work in us, that the root of Jesse is springing up in our midst if we'll have eyes to see him and give our lives to him again. That's the way that the world begins to carve out change. We've said this again and again and again, that the way God brings healing to our world's division and distrust is through a people who embody his reconciling sincere love. People who the world says should remain separate, reject that false narrative and begin blending their voices and their lives in harmony with one another. And so we, this is the, I, the question that I'll lay before you. Will you join Jesus at his table? Because part of what that means is saying, I have something to learn from those who are unlike me. Whether that's someone else who's gathered in this field today or at home on Zoom or across the river who is a brother and sister in Christ. We have ways that we need the larger family to help us both to see and to sing anew. So let's Let's receive the good news, family, that the most important thing that we have, it cannot be taken away from us. We are accepted and honored in Christ's family. And the same Jesus who stands in solidarity with us is making himself known. He's springing up among us as we stand in solidarity with each other. God is at work being building a community where every voice is valued, every race is welcomed, every life is given the seat of honor. Will you take your place at his table and add your voice to the multi-ethnic chorus who together alone are able to sing his praises? 
Let's pray. Father, we uh, submit ourselves to you again. Um, it's so easy for us to recede into our echo chambers, to retreat back from one another, especially in a pandemic, to remain isolated and alone, to think that uh, we don't need one another or that we can't grow from each other. God, I, I pray that you'd renew our minds. You'd release us from the conforming influence of our world that treats other people as threats to our existence. And that we would offer our bodies as living sacrifices to the good news that people who are different are gifts to be embraced. God, I need a, a new mind for what that looks like. I don't know all the ways that you want to change us and transform us, but I do know that we can trust you, that you'll do the work if we say yes. And so God, I, I, I pray that it is our, our, our heart's desire, one voice and one mind that today says again, yes, we want a seat at your table. We want to partner with you in the movement of what you're doing in this world. We want to stand in contrast to the polarization of our country. And we want the name of Jesus to be the name above every name. And that, his, at, that at the sound of his name, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is the world's true Lord. We ask him in his name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.